Well, it's really good, as I mentioned to uh, our Sunday school class that we had in here this morning, to be back at Emmaus Baptist Church. Um, before the church called uh, Owen to come and be the pastor here, I had the opportunity to do an interim, and as I shared with that Sunday school class, I have a giftedness that after I get through preaching for a while, anybody that comes in here, they look spectacular, all right? And so now Owen, he was a spectacular anyway. So it is great to get to know him. I certainly appreciate the opportunity to come and to share again with you today. We're going to be looking today and studying in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. When When you even hear 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you think about uh, typically a wedding. You know, it's the kind of thing of almost a, at weddings you'll hear the passage from this read or, or maybe even the entire chapter read. It's not that long because we, we think of it in terms of uh, the love between a husband and wife. And certainly it, it, can, it can describe that. The, the love that is described here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is, is virtually, if anyone were to set out to do it on their own, they would be incapable of doing it. It is the love that is given to us by God. It is the love of God. That is described here. And so as we read through this passage, and we're going to read through the entire chapter, and then we're going to come back and look at it, I want you to think about how in its entirety it talks about love and the love of God. Starting in verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. And is not jealous. Love does not brag. And is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness. But rejoices with the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, and then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these... Is love. 
I don't know that you could find a more poetic, eloquent, eloquent and wonderful uh, passage in all of Scripture as it talks about the, the, the total um, nature of God's love and how magnanimous that it is. I want us to look at three big aspects of what we see here in regard to the love of God inside of 1 Corinthians 13. On the back of your bulletin is a place that's blank where you can write some notes, and if you're taking notes and if you're a note-taker, then I, I, I want to share a couple things with you as we begin. These three things are, 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 are stuff that you would write under, right? Here's the first one right now. He establishes for us, Paul does as we, he begins 1 Corinthians 13, the priority of love. It is dramatic what he says here about love and about how much of a priority it has to be in everything we do. It is the love of God which reached out to us and redeemed us and made us new. It is the love of God that even uh, brought him to the point of creating man and, and, and woman so that, that we could be here, that we could have fellowship with him. There is this, there is this priority of love that is established and he establishes it early here. Now, the love that he's speaking of here in this passage is not the compassion or the charity of men, but the love of God. It is agape love. You know, a lot of times when we think love, we think of the word that a lot of times in Greek is called eros, all right? That form of love is not even mentioned in the New Testament. It's not there. We think of this, we, we think of that kind of love. As a matter of fact, when we're sitting at that wedding, and we especially hear verses 4 through 7, that part that's talking about love is kind, or love is patient, is kind. You know, and we're all going, oh yeah, that's, that's sweet. But it's really not that love, romantic kind of love. That is a deep, abiding, God kind of love. And he, he establishes that here. This uh, agape love is a love of esteem. It has the idea and contains the idea of prizing it is the noblest word for love in all of the Greek language. And so it is that one which establishes that this is of God. When we hear that God is love, this is the love that God is here as it's established for us. Agape love is not kindled by the worth or merit of its object, but it originates in its own God-given nature. Isn't that interesting? Often we, we understand love in the worth or merit of the object to which that love goes. But in, in fact, as a matter of fact, we experience deeper love because of how we view that object. That is not how God is. God has this love that supersedes. It's not based on that. It comes from his very nature that he is love. It delights in giving. This, this love keeps on loving even when the loved one is unresponsive, unkind, unlovable and unworthy now think about that for a minute uh, whenever we find out that uh, the person that we love is unresponsive when they are unkind uh, and certainly prove themselves at points to be unworthy our love wanes but not the love of God now that ought to, that ought, that ought to just right there for a moment as we talk about this type of love, settle in and, and, and bring about some kind of deep emotion within us because the truth is there is nothing inside of us really that, that is lovable. I mean, are, are there good parts of us? Yes, but whenever it gets down to it, when we think about who God is and high and holiness and when we choose sin over God, really there is that which separates us from him and it really, 
It, it means that we were not just deciding to go our own way, but we were antagonistic to the idea that God would even want to intrude into our lives. And in that sense, still God looks at us and loves us. That is his nature to do. It's not about whether we're responsive or kind or lovable or worthy, not at all. And agape desires only the good of the loved one, of the one loved. And it is a consuming passion for the well-being of others. When God loves us, he loves us out of a love that is for our good. You know, did you ever get uh, disciplined at home when you were a child? I'm looking at the crowd here. There may be one or two that got disciplined when you were a child. And, and, and your parents said to you, I'm doing this because I love you. Didn't you feel loved at that moment? Remember how warm and fuzzy you felt at that very moment? You know what? They were doing that because they, they, did, they were doing that because they loved you, because they were doing it out of what was best for you. God's love does that 100% of the time. He loves us out of what is best for us, uh, for our well-being. And he has this consuming passion for our well-being and desires it for us. He does that whenever he blesses us. He does that whenever he uh, disciplines us. He does it all for our well-being. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews, it says that he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. I mean, that is, it is all based on that. This is the type of love that is mentioned here. This is the love of John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is the love that's described here when Paul talks about it in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13. Oh God loved this world so much that he would send his son to die on behalf of those who were even antagonistic toward him. That kind of love. It is the love of Romans 5:8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us that which is most detestable to God that is unholy in sin and we know from the scripture the wages of sin are dead even in the midst of that, that in the midst of that thing which is so abhorrent to God he sent his son because of his love that we might have life it's that kind of love that he's talking about here and here's what he says about it he states that without love, the greatest orator becomes an unbearable sound. You know, I, I love to listen to it. I've, I've, I've even mentioned this here before long ago. It's been long enough. You've forgotten. But one of my, one of my favorite preachers is Alistair Begg. And he speaks with this Scottish brogue. I mean, when, I mean you know, he, he basically could read a comic book and, and I'd get saved. I mean, you know I mean? I just hear him talking. It's like, yes, that is an angelic voice. And so I, I, I submit, Lord, to Iron Man. All right, I don't know. Uh, I mean, but he, 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 when I hear him preach, he's got that thing, and he's going on. He rolls those R's and minutes. And listen, you can imagine whatever, whoever it is. I know Kim, my wife, she, she loves Jeremy Irons. All right? This is, you know, I don't know if you know Jeremy Irons. He's an actor. Look him up. But whenever you, his voice rolls off, it's kind of, ooh, that voice. I'm kind of jealous of the guy, actually. And uh, the most significant, most, the greatest orator in the world becomes a, a clanging symbol, something that is an unbearable sound if they do not have love. 
He is establishing here the priority of love in all that we do. And so you know what we do? We get in places and we listen to men and to women who are eloquent in how they speak. And they speak so well and they are able to distinguish their ideas so that you understand them and, 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 and admire them. And when they have no love in their heart and in their life, they, be, they become a clanging symbol, an unbearable sound. He says here, that the wisest man really becomes a fool. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy, know all mysteries and all knowledge, that really I am nothing. The person of great faith amounts to nothing. He says the person has an amount of faith that could move mountains. Can you think about, we, just, we would desire deep within ourselves to have the kind of faith that would move mountains. Apparently, it's even, you're even able to have enough faith to move a mountain and still cannot have love in your heart. And if you are able to do that, it profits you nothing. This is what he's establishing here. That how are we to be? We are to be a people of love. This is the priority. It's what we establish and build our lives on, this love of God which has transformed us. The most, he's saying here, the most charitable person, the one who would give of all his possessions, right? Give up all his possessions to feed the poor. He, he, the most charitable person for the most noble cause, it profits him nothing if it is done without love. There are a lot of charities in the world. If you remember, back in the 80s, so, okay, if you can remember the 80s, that we had these concerts that were going to solve hunger. Remember that? Everybody was singing, we are the world. We are, I mean, we're just, we. Apparently you don't remember that. All right, so... I mean, we, we were going to solve all those things, and we have concerts, and we raise all this money and stuff, and, and it's like we're, we're doing this good thing. But, but people are still hungry, by the way. People are still starving. You know why? It's because we do those things to make ourselves feel better, but somewhere within us, we don't do it out of this deep, abiding love. It, it profits us nothing. And the one, he says, who would give his very life for a cause does so in vain, for it is of no value to him. I can't even imagine that, but here's what he's saying. The person who would say, even for the thing which I believe in most, I'm going to give my life to have it done, but they have no love in their heart, it profits them nothing. He's saying, whatever you set out to do, you need to, you, you, before you get going on it, you need to establish this. Do you have the love of God as the foundation for your life? Because without it, it whatever you set out to do will profit you nothing. That's what he's saying. It is the very priority of love. He's making the case that before the body gets hung up on, on, on things like what gifts, who, ha, who has what gifts, and he's just been talking about this in the end of uh, chapter 12, listen to that, starting in verse 27. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps and administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? You can imagine what kind of people Paul's talking to here. Trying to establish who's got what gifts and how, how elevated they are. He says, all are not workers of miracles, are they? Do they not have the... All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I will, and I show you a still more excellent way. He's saying, hey, 
This is not the deal. What you're making out to be the deal. Before we get hung up on who has what gifts and determines those gifts to be great or let, you know, a greater gift or a lesser gift, that it is all for naught if we have not undergirded it all with love. Love is the very foundation of what we do. We hear that? Here's the second thing. Then he establishes the practicality of love. When you look in verses 4 through 7, you see that love is patient. When we read through this passage, there is no way that we cannot help but see these verses in terms of our relationships with one another. But I want us to view it in terms of God's relationship with us. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The, the verses here reveal that love has practical applications that build support and sustain our relationship with God and with others. These verses also point that without Jesus, this type of love is absolutely unattainable. You know, when you think of the Ten Commandments and, and say, okay, here are the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. Now let's try and keep those. You, you, really, don't even, you really don't even get past the first one almost, you know. We have no other gods before me. And yet we let so many other things creep into our lives and become gods, if not God's idols for sure. And we start thinking, well, but okay, uh, okay, a lie is in there, so yeah, I've done that. And you start getting through the Ten Commandments, and you're like, okay, I've broken a lot of these. And especially if I interpret them in the light of how Jesus interpreted them. And you're thinking, I can't get through the Ten Commandments. Here you have these 15 attributes of love, and they reveal quickly how far we have to go in, in, in the, our ability to love as God does. When he starts out with love is patient, immediately you go, I guarantee you, right when this service is over, some of you are going to run down somewhere and get in line at a fast food place. And this, this theory is going to be on the line. You're going to get behind somebody, and they're going, to be at, they're going to come up to drive up to the little thing, you know, where the speaker box is. You're behind them, you're looking at them, and they start ordering. You see there's only two heads in the car. And then it just keep, the time just keeps passing. You're like, what are they ordering? You're going to find out quickly, you don't have a whole lot of love for the people in that car. <laughs> love is kind. When you lean on that horn, remember that love is kind. <laughs> I mean, we don't have to get too far into these to realize this, but I want us to think of these in terms of, like I said, Jesus in relationship to us. Love is patient. 1 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. People are always have been saying, Where is Jesus? How come He didn't come back? He said He's going to come back. He's going to come back. Listen, He's not being slow about it. He's being patient about it. You know why? Because there may even be people in this room who do not know Jesus as their Savior, and He's being patient because He loves you, and He wants you to come to repentance. He is more patient than any. 
Here it says that, that love does not seek, seek its own. So I'm going to flip over a few pages to Philippians chapter 2. And listen to what it says here in Philippians 2 starting in verse 5. Have this attitude. By the way, the attitude he just mentioned was one of selflessness. In yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God. Did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it says that love does not seek its own. There is Jesus, excuse me, there is Jesus who, that woke you up, didn't it? I had to get you. There's Jesus who is... God in human form, but he, he didn't come down and say, I am God in human form, and this is what you will do. He emptied himself, and taking on the form of a bondservant, and he approached the cross, and he endured the cross, and he did it out of love. Not seek his own, that, that, that glory would be his, and, and, and how he would rule over people, but in how he would him, submit himself to the Father's will. And then after that, it says that his name is highly lifted up, and he's been bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, and that his name every knee will bow, and every tongue confess that he is Lord. It says here that the in the 13th chapter, one of these verses is, does not take into account a wrong suffered. We had a marriage conference last night. We talked about that in a sense. There, there's that, that passage right here that says it, right? This verse does not take into account a wrong suffered. I wish that we could all say that was true about us, right? If anyone ever hurts us, we don't take into account that wrong suffered, but boy, we take it into account. As a matter of fact, some of us have a ledger and are keeping up with those things. But he does not. Luke 23, 34, But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Think about this. This is Jesus on the cross. They, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Talk about the ultimate wrong that was being suffered in that moment. He was able to not to, to seek the forgiveness of the ones who were doing it. And then it says that love bears all things. 1 Peter 2, 23. And while being reviled, revile, to be reviled is, is constant verbal abuse. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus would bear all things, and he did so because of his great love for us. When you think about this, this is how we should love him and how we should love others as well. And it says that love endures all things. Hebrews 12, 2, fix, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured that cross for the joy set before him. He endured it because of his great love. And so when we, we think of those words, we don't just think of them in terms of our relationships with one another. We think of it in terms of how Jesus has already lived it out so that he might be an example, example to us of how to love. I, I mentioned in Sunday school this morning a, a person by the name of Dr. Helen Rosevere. She was a British missionary to the Congo. And 
She died in 2016 at age of 92, and I began to read up on her life and study about her life. The reason I was captivated by it, she was a woman who grew up in Britain. God called her into the missionary field. She, she wanted to be a doctor, so she became a doctor, and she went to do medical missions in the Congo. And she, while she was in the Congo, uh, uh, it, the upheaval came to that country, and rebellion happened, and she was caught by rebels and captured along with some other people in the village. They were held and tortured for five months, and she was brutally raped twice. I, I, I caught this little article, or this little thing that just made me want to go to this article on Twitter when I first saw her name, so I went to see and read about her life. And when I, when I read what she said about that incident, I thought about this whole thing of endures all things. When, when, when she endured that she said it was obviously the low point in life and she was like God surely there was surely there's another way surely it didn't have to go to to this point surely this did not have to happen and here's what she said she said it was like God spoke to her and said Helen you've asked for the privilege to be a missionary this is it don't you want it these are not your sufferings. They're my sufferings. I just ask for the loan of your body. And she said, whenever I understood what, what God was asking of me, I willingly was wanting to bear it for his name's sake. I can't even imagine having that kind of love. But that drew me to her. I want to know someone that has that kind of love in their heart that can forgive that way and move on that way. And understands God that way. And understands this aspect of his love. If God used these qualities in Christ, and he did, obviously, we've seen from the scripture, to change the world, don't you think he can use them in your, your life to change your family? Change your classmates? Change your coworkers? These are practical things. And then lastly, he, sh he should, uh, shows us this, the permanency of love. He says, love never fails. Love never fails. As it is set out to accomplish what God desires, it does accomplish. Love redeems us. First John 4.10, Scripture says, In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. That is, it satisfied, what Jesus did on the cross, satisfied the wrath of God. And, and love is not that we would love God. When we get to know who God is and what He's like, of course we would love Him. This is love that God would look at us and who we are and that He would still love us. And so that love redeemed us. And it did not fail to do so. For there are many in this room who could stand and testify now of how you were in the middle of your sin and Jesus stepped in in his love and redeemed your life and changed it completely and turned your life around. One that was headed toward sin and destruction turned completely around to light into life. And now you rejoice every day for Jesus has changed your heart and life through his love that redeemed you. And, and his love unifies us. Colossians 3.14 says, Beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. 
when we think about how do we become one people, how do we get along with one another, how do we establish a kind of church body that we need to be and, and the kind of body of Christ that we need to be. We understand that we put on love because it is when we love one another that we are unified together. It brings us together. It is the perfect bond of unity is what the scripture tells us. And love secures us. Romans 8, starting in verse 35, and then we're going to read 38 and 39 as well. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His love secures us. It does not fail. Nothing can take us from His hand. Jesus is the one who said, those who are in my hand, I hold on to them and no one is able to snatch them out of it. What a great feeling it is to know that when we are His, we are His forever. And love promises us. This is the second Timothy 4, 8. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His Appearing, There is a day for us where we'll be with Him forever, and it has been promised to us, and love will accomplish it because love never fails. The love of God accomplishes whatever it is it, God intends for it to do. Other things will fade. You see what he says here? If there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. But the love of God abides forever. His love never fails, and it will not fail you. The only question is, have you experienced it? Have you given your heart and life to Jesus to experience his love and let him take residence in your life through his Holy Spirit so that you can live out his love? Look around you at this world. Don't they need it? Don't you need it? Let me pray for you. Lord, right now I pray and give this moment to you and ask for your Holy Spirit to accomplish what, what he desires. Lord, I pray that if there are any in this room today who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today is the day of salvation. I pray that they would experience your love. Lord, though they may feel far away from you, right now your love is ready to step in and break down the walls and just say to that person in the midst of all of their junk, I love you. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. His love is ready to save you today. I pray for the body of Christ in this room, those who are already believers, Lord, and pray today that we would recommit to live out the principles of your love in the relationships we have around us each and every day and to build the relationship that we have with you. God, I pray that we would do it in the strength that only your spirit provides and that the foundation of the, all that we do would be the love of God. 
And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.